Welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast, a platform for women in agriculture, ranching, homesteading, and more to share their stories. I'm your host, Caitlin Dubin. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. This week's episode is brought to you by KL Skin Naturals new shampoo and conditioner bars. You can replace two to three bottles of your liquid shampoo with their hand-whipped shampoo and conditioner bars. They're soap-free, sulfate-free, and paraben-free, gentle on hair and gentle on the environment. Head on over to klskindeodorant.com and use promo code WILDROSE10 to save 10% off of your order and support the Rural Woman Podcast. On this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast, you'll meet Tiffany Duncan. Tiffany is a third-generation blueberry farmer turned pig farmer at a 700-head farrow-to-wean operation in the Annapolis Valley in Nova Scotia. Tiffany shares with us about her love of animals, plus what it's like to be a military wife on top of being a farmer. But before we get to today's episode, let's go over the review of the week. This week, I pulled the review from over on wildrosefarmer.com on the show notes for Nicole Masters episode. This week's review comes from Bill Nelson. It says, Caitlin does a fantastic job. As a former educator, I am delightfully amazed by the volume of research that goes into each program. Caitlin's depth of knowledge on the subjects and the guests she provides is not just an off-the-cuff conversation. Without a doubt, there's hours of information gathering that makes each podcast flow as if the guests were close friends, not just Caitlin, but friends with all of the listeners too. I'm a proud listener and patron of the Rural Woman Podcast, and I encourage you to become one as well. Well, thank you so much, Bill, for your kind words over on wildrosefarmer.com. And if you guys have been loving the show, I would encourage you to leave a rating and review wherever you listen to the show. So whether that's on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or you can head on over to Facebook and look up Wild Rose Farmer and leave your rating and review there, or be like Bill and leave a comment on one of the podcast show notes. Anywhere that I can get your kind words, I thank you so much for all of your support. So without further ado, my friends, let's get to this week's episode with Tiffany Duncan. Hello, Tiffany. How are you? I'm great, Caitlin. How are you? I'm doing so good. Thank you so much for joining me on the Rural Woman Podcast today. Thanks for having me. I'm pretty excited. I am also excited to get to speak with you. And I'm trying to pick up on your accent and I'm not getting it. So it might be because we both have accents and we just don't hear them. We'll have to let the audience pick them up. (laughs) Yeah. What accents? I've never heard an accent coming from you. (laughs) For my listeners who are unfamiliar with Tiffany Duncan, tell us a little bit more about who you are and where you're from. Well, like you said, I'm Tiffany Duncan. I am from the East Coast, based in Nova Scotia. I grew up a blueberry farmer and kind of got lucky enough that both of my parents had land. And uh, I've spent every summer in the fields working with them in Oxford, Nova Scotia, which is most commonly known as the world capital of blueberries, wild blueberries. And now I live in the Annapolis Valley. I have never been to the East Coast of Canada, but I have definitely seen beautiful pictures of the valley that you live in, and I get a little jealous. It is probably like one of the top five beautiful places in this country. I have to admit that coming 
from being in Saskatchewan for a little bit in my lifetime as well. I think that Saskatchewan and Nova Scotia are probably my most favorite parts of Canada. As an Albertan, I am highly offended that you think Saskatchewan (laughs) is next. (laughs) But that's another topic for another day. (laughs) So tell us more about your background as a blueberry farmer. That's pretty interesting, and especially that it's the capital of the world where you live with all of these blueberries. So tell us more about that side of you, the blueberry farmer. Yeah, so... Wild blueberries, which most people see the high bush berries fresh in grocery stores. The high bush berries are the nice, big, round, plump berries with a very short production time. And they are most commonly frozen because they retain nutrients really well when they're frozen and they're so versatile. But yeah, we basically harvest and Oxford is one of the largest processors of berries as well. We have a lot of small farms around and some fairly large ones as well, but they basically flash freeze everything and ship it. So wild blueberries are most commonly found in your supermarkets. Yeah, that's about it. (laughs) Okay. So what kind of growing conditions are ideal then for wild blueberries? Wild berries need a bit of an acidic soil, and we don't actually plant anything. It's just kind of a hope for the best. I know my father actually started clearing a land that he was going to call my college fund. And it started with a piece of wooded area that he clear cut and pulled as many of the stumps out as he could. And the patches just started growing. So the blueberries kind of grow as a, I like to think of it as a net root network under the ground. And they just kind of clump together. You can't just pull one bush out, you end up pulling a whole root system and a large clump of land out. But they do need a bit of an acidic soil and they just kind of thrive with minimal assistance. We do a bit of fertilizing, but it's not really needed because the wildlife does lots of fertilizing. They're also the best way to spread berries as well. So you get birds coming and eating them and then pooping elsewhere. It just kind of spreads the vines. They're simple. That does sound simple. You don't need to plant them. You miss (laughs) a whole season of planting. So that's great. Yeah, still have to do the fertilizer and the the pesticides and herbicides and things like that, but it's pretty low-key. Back in 2015, my fellow female farmer, Shyla Richards, began teaching herself how to crochet by watching YouTube videos. Now, Shyla has mastered the craft of crocheting and sells her wonderful work on Etsy and even teaches classes locally too. Shyla's crochet creations are handcrafted by Shyla Richards, an ocean-loving East Coaster that moved west and now has a farm in Onaway, Alberta. Shyla crochets a variety of items like hats, mittens, scarves, and some super cute farm animals, plus is able to do custom orders as well. Head on over to Etsy and find Shyla's crochet creations or simply take a look at today's show notes for the link to check out all of her beautiful creations, plus Listeners of the Rural Woman podcast can save 15% off of their order by using code RWP15. That's RWP15 for 15% off your order at Shyla's Crochet Creations. So you mentioned before that they have a short growing season. What is the typical growing season for them then? I guess from start to finish for a plant... They take actually a year to grow. So they start growing leaves in 
I guess late May. And they actually just spend that first year growing. They don't actually produce a blossom. They don't produce any fruit. They don't produce anything except just foliage. And then the next summer, they start again, the end of May, they start growing those leaves again, but then they will produce a blossom. We put bees on all of our fields just with pollination. And then fruit starts to ripen the middle of July. And then we start picking, harvesting the first part of August. And harvest for us personally takes about three to four weeks. And what kind of equipment are you using to harvest these blueberries? So it's kind of like a giant rotating rake that is on the side of a harvest of a tractor. So it's a three foot rotating drum that has a bunch of little teeth or like fingers and it rotates through and it actually goes through the vines and pulls the berries off. When it hits the top of that drum, it drops them into a conveyor, which then sends it to the back of the tractor. Our current setup, we have someone working on the back piling boxes that holds about 25 to 27 pounds. Some of the newer equipment has larger totes that they hold about 250 pounds. That's very cool. And so once they come off the field into these totes, where do you have to store them? Do you immediately freeze them after that or do you ship them off? So I get kind of lucky. We basically take it to a loading dock. My uncles run a little company that they basically bring in little producers We load the berries onto a refrigerated tractor trailer and they get shipped to another plant that does all of that part of it. We literally just deal with growing and harvesting. That does sound very lucky. It is nice because you just harvest them and then wait for the paycheck. Yes, exactly. There's no storing them or making sure that they're okay in a bin or anything like that. So that's very good. Yes. So Tiffany, you are not just a blueberry farmer. You have many facets to you. And I think it's quite interesting. I think the blueberry stuff is very cool. But you also have another full-time job or what your full-time job actually is. So tell us a little bit more about that. Yes. So I'm currently managing a 700 head farrow to lean operation that is all pigs. And how did you get your start in animal agriculture? That basically goes back to when I was still in high school. My aunt got me interested in veterinary medicine and that's basically where it all started. I did a lot of volunteer time and ended up wanting to become a veterinary technician. And while I was in university for that, I found a job on a dairy farm milking cows. So I kind of fell in love with large animal medicine and I got into a clinic. I was a mixed animal practice and I did small animal cats and dogs and then some horses, cattle, goats, sheep, And worked with a local wildlife, not really a zoo, but something similar. So I actually got a chance to uh, work with some skunks and some bears. But then I kind of, when we moved around and everything, we finally settled back down in Nova Scotia. I was kind of tired of veterinary medicine and the stress that was involved in it. So then I ended up applying to a farm. And that's where I am now. So... As a blueberry farmer growing up, did you ever think that you would end up doing what you're doing now? Or did you always think you would stay in food production agriculture? I never anticipated being back in agriculture in this particular way ever. My father knew that blueberries weren't something I really wanted to take wholeheartedly and continue on with. He knew I had other dreams. And yeah, I thought I'd be one of those people who was in veterinary medicine till I'm old and gray and crippled and 
I'm so happy where I'm at right now. So as a Hertz person, then what does your job entail and what does your day to day look like? Well, every day starts about the same. So we start at 730. Everybody gets fed in the morning. All of our sows get fed. Excuse me, farin crates get cleaned. Then we move on to our piglets and everybody gets supplemented. So we do feed additional two mums milk. We feed electrolytes as well as creek feed. And then after that, it kind of depends on where we're at in our four-week schedule as to what goes on for the afternoon. It could be anywhere from processing piglets to vaccinating or record-keeping, breeding, moving animals around. Kind of just depends on what the day is. What do you think is your most favorite part of your job? A lot of things. <laughs> it's really nice when you get to snuggle piglets, of course, because they're cute. But I really find it rewarding when my sows are super, I don't even know the word to describe it. It's not like they just recognize you, but that they want your attention and they want you to come over and talk to them. If that makes sense. Yes. <laughs> I, know the feel- <laughs> I know the feelings not with pigs, but with like goats and taco. I definitely know that feeling. So <laughs> yeah, it feels so rewarding to know that they're not scared of us, that they actually want attention from us. And they realize, you know, hey, this lady, if I kind of bark at her, she's going to come over and scratch my neck. Or, you know, just little things like that is kind of one of the rewarding things. I guess my other super rewarding thing and something I'm super proud of being there is that I can see all of my hard work walk out the door 21 days after they're born. Like I see my hard work going out the door. Absolutely. And so after those 21 days with the piglets, where do they go? They actually go up to grower barns in Ontario. So we do keep some behind. My boss, we have a a market barn that we do grow out market hogs and they have them butchered and they sell cuts of meat locally. But most of them, I'd say probably 95% of them go to grower barns in Ontario. And the opposite of the question that I asked you, what is your least favorite part about your job? Hmm. Sick animals, truthfully. That's always hard. Yeah, it is hard to see, especially, I mean, for the most part, I know what... I need to treat them with, but it still sucks to see them down and out and sick. Yeah, for sure. So Tiffany, what do you think some of the biggest misconceptions you hear most often when it comes to pig farming? I think a lot of people just assume that we don't care, that we're just raising these animals and getting them pregnant to have babies. And it's just a vicious cycle. But we do care. Like I look at the body condition of my girls when they come out of the fairing crates and I judge that as to whether or not she's going to be able to withstand another pregnancy. And while they're in farrowing crates, I'm always adjusting feed to make sure she's able to maintain her weight and maintain the milk production for her piglets. And I try my hardest to make sure that they maintain that weight because I want them to be healthy. I want them to be happy. And if they're not a happy animal, if they're not comfortable or if they're not satisfied, they're not going to be willing to reproduce and have more babies for us. So it's just people assume that we don't care, but we really do. Because if we didn't care, we wouldn't have these animals. Absolutely. And I feel like for you anyways, I follow you on Instagram. You're very transparent in what you're doing in these barns and sharing your story. And I feel like if that was your motive, then you wouldn't be openly sharing about what you do as a Hertz person. 
Yeah, no, if we're not able to keep these animals happy and content, then we're not going to get production out of them. Like I've even personally seen, you know, when I first started there, they'd had some herds people in the past who weren't very nice with the animals. And you could see that mentality with those older girls. So I've been there not quite two years and the herd has changed dramatically. And even some of the older girls who were really timid around me when I started are the ones that will come up to me first and be like, okay, I know that you're going to be nice to me. And I know that you're going to scratch me if I come and sit beside you and bark at you. So they know what changes are positive and they, they feed off that energy too. Absolutely. Oh, I love that. You're making <laughs> old girls happy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I actually have an old girl. Well, she's not very old. She's She's been around for a little bit, but I've actually named her Happy because she just, I walk in the barn and say, morning, Happy, if I know she's there. And she just barks right back to me. It's so oh, nice. That's so sweet. <laughs> so how long do the mama pigs then, do they have litters for? We keep them around, usually around seven to eight litters. So they come into the barn. They're probably six to eight months old when they're bred the first time. And they have about two and a half litters a year. So if she's been around for eight litters, that's, uh, I guess, four years, give or take, five years, depending on how well she's doing. Right. So it's not very long, but we also don't want them to be exhausted either. Absolutely. And for how many piglets they have, like even one litter sounds exhausting to me. So Yeah, I mean... <laughs> I applaud some of these girls. I had a, a girl pharaoh on Tuesday and she had 23 piglets. Oh, Lord. And I was just like, I need to find homes. I need to find new moms for some of these because you can't hold 23 piglets. <laughs> no doubt. That is a lot of piglets. How many is yes. average, would you say? 14, usually <laughs> live born, which is still a lot. Yeah, that's still a lot. That's a lot of mouths to feed. Good job, piggy mamas. <laughs> And when they get older, my boss and I, we were in the barn talking the other day and we were standing next to a crate that had pigs that were probably 18, 19 days old. So they're getting pretty big. And mama was just laying there and these pigs were crawling all over her. They were chewing her ear. They were digging their nose in her mouth. They're so patient. No kidding. I, <laughs> I couldn't do it. <laughs> Have you been loving the Rural Woman podcast? Are you wondering how you can support the show? Well, friend, I'm happy to announce that I've recently joined Patreon. What is Patreon? Well, it's a membership-based platform that provides a simple way for you to contribute to the Rural Woman podcast every month and get exclusive rewards in return. Memberships start as low as $2 a month. Seriously, that's less than your grande, skinny, extra-hot caramel macchiato with whip. Wondering what the rewards are? Well, they include promo codes for Shop Wild Rose Farmer, draws for the Rural Woman podcast merchandise, shout outs on the show, and more. Your financial support of the Rural Woman podcast will help make it possible for the stories of women in agriculture to continue to be shared. So head on over to wildrosefarmer.com to find out more information about how you can become a patron through Patreon. And how big are the piglets when they leave your barns? Our wean weight has to be four and a half kilograms. So if they don't make weight, we do keep them and the little guys stay with us and we continue to feed them. Sometimes if they've grown really well, we will ship them the next month. It just kind of depends on how long they've been in 
between batches. We don't want to send them if we've already invested more money than it's worth to send them. So if you could give a piece of advice to somebody looking to get into animal medicine, what would it be? That's really hard because there's so many things that I would probably have told myself when I started in university for animal ag. It's tough for starters because you get emotionally invested. I think working in small animal medicine for eight or nine years and seeing some of the really sad cases and having to distance myself from it allows me to try and kind of compartmentalize a few things. But it's it's emotionally exhausting if you get too invested in things, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah, I don't, I don't really know a good answer for that. That is a good answer because <laughs> I know firsthand about getting too emotionally invested in animals. Yeah. <laughs> it is very hard, but I feel like from a producer standpoint, once you go through kind of your first few rounds of growing animals and then selling them, whether it's to just another farm or if they're going to be processed, it takes a couple times to go through and eventually you get a little bit tougher about it. But you know, it's still hard. <laughs> it, yeah, it is. And again, with my career as a vet tech, I've seen a lot of new baby grad vet techs that are all gung-ho. They want to save everything and every animal. But those animals also have the constraint of their owners and their owners might have the financial constraints. So it's, again, it's great to have that attitude, but it doesn't always get you very far. I guess it's, it can sometimes be a downer to have that attitude. Not that I don't want to try and save everybody, but you need to be able to draw a line. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like you have such a big heart, Tiffany, and it just comes through and your care for your animals is apparent and obvious when you're sharing on Instagram. So thank you for doing all that you do for these little piggies. I truly do. They are probably the most the most work that I put into things that I'm super proud of at the end of the day when I get to see them snuggling all in a piggy pile on their heat mat. Absolutely. So like I mentioned before, you are multifaceted, Tiffany. You're a blueberry farmer. You're a herds person for a 700 head operation like that's huge but you're also a military wife so tell us a little bit more about that I know firsthand that there are a few listeners that can relate to you in this subject so tell us more about that it's a challenge my now husband decided to join after we were living in New Brunswick and after his basic training we got sent to Saskatchewan which is why I kind of like Saskatchewan a little bit um <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh, it's a bit of a challenge because there was, you know, a time where he was away on course for the first few months that we were living in Nova Scotia for like that first summer that we were here. And that was also the time that I left my job in a clinic and started the job on the farm and things were changing. So I want to say it's up in the air sometimes, which is a much better pun if you knew he was a pilot. <laughs> so I mean there's times where I don't know if he's actually going to be coming home again he's a pilot he does search and rescue I mean we had a really bad storm yesterday so they actually took the plane out of province so that it would be flyable if something came in and they actually couldn't even land like in Greenwood because the runways were so bad so he ended up spending the night in New Brunswick somewhere so it's 
it's a challenge because you don't really always know when he's going to be home. And I know that my job is consistent. I am there, you know, 12 of 14 days. I know my schedule. So it's kind of hard to plan some things, especially family events. Absolutely. That's like, well, I can relate to that of planning family events or going to family events by myself (laughs) because my husband is on a tractor and no, he's not going to stop for your wedding. I'm sorry. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, not only do we have the whole, you know, my husband's military, I don't know if we're going to be able to make it because he might not be in the area, but also mine is, hey, I have to work. So, you know, pigs got to eat. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) They don't wait for your wedding or anything like that. So no, I I don't know why. No, right? (laughs) They're so (laughs) rude. (laughs) No. So have you been able then to connect, I guess, with other military wives through either social media or face to face in your area, then that can kind of relate to what you're going through? Yeah, actually, one of the girls that I did my veterinary technician program with, her husband is posted to the same base. So she and I are both living here and her husband works on the planes that my husband flies. So it it makes things a little bit nicer. It was really nice coming to a new base where I knew a face and I knew somebody that I could talk to and ask questions to and things like that. So that that was really beneficial. On the flip side, when we moved to Moose Jaw, I knew absolutely nobody. So the MFRC was a huge asset to us, which is the Military Family Resource Center, being able to put us in touch with, you know, people of our age group or from similar areas and things like that. So the the MFRC was helpful and their Facebook pages were always great. They did host, I guess they call it a welcome Wednesday where they do coffee for new people to just kind of sit and hang out. So that was I guess the beneficial part of it. So you can meet new people and kind of get away from things. Yeah, absolutely. Because I can only assume how isolating it is to be moved to Saskatchewan, Moose Jaw of all places. And, uh, <laughs> then to just not know when your husband is coming home or where he is or anything like that. So I'm glad they have those resources for military families. Yeah, I kind of wish they had more resources for most of it focuses on the I just want to say family side of things. So obvious reasons for the name. I find they don't have a lot of resources for, let's say, family-less couples. Like we don't have children. Our children are four-legged and furry. They're cats I got when I was in the tech program. So they don't have a lot of things that are, are more oriented towards people who don't have children, which is something that I think they're working on. But, you know, that's how things go, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Sometimes I even feel like in the agriculture industry, I can feel very similar to that. So there Mm -hmm. are definitely things and programs for farm families, but not farm couples. And it is very difficult to find people, I guess, in our area. And especially in our area, like we are probably the youngest farmers in our vicinity. Mm -hmm. Everybody else is either older or retired and that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's hard to meet people. And that's why I feel like we have the internet. So (laughs) yes, I'm not going to lie. The internet is how I met you and how I've met the egg community that I am so gracious that I have found. Yes. Yeah. It has definitely been a great resource for me too. We live on big spreads and tiny homesteads, farms, ranches, and everywhere in between. Neighbors separated by barbed wire fences and gravel roads, divided by section lines and field boundaries. 
We are wives and mothers, husbands and fathers, producers and consumers, held together by the threads of history and love. Here in these vast, wide open places, we answer the call of caregivers to the land, the animals, and our families with open hearts and willing hands. The miles of gravel and pavement between our homes can make the isolation of rural life feel insurmountable. Sometimes we struggle to reach out and ask for help, even though we never pause when one of our own needs our support. We come together in times of crisis and in times of joy. We celebrate together when the markets are up and hold each other together when the world falls apart. We support each other's families from the sidelines and in the trenches. We show up for each other, operating equipment, working cattle, cooking meals, and offering a shoulder to cry on when there's nothing else we can do. We may get knocked down, but together we get back up and carry on. We are fighters who never back down from a challenge or allow obstacles to stop us in our tracks. When the going gets tough, we rally. We rise from the ashes of heartbreak because this life is in our blood and it is part of our soul. Though we are proud of our independence and our strength, we know that together we can overcome challenges we can't handle alone. Introducing Rally, a charitable campaign aiming to bring agriculture together. The agricultural industry is like no other. Farmers and ranchers are truly the eternal optimists. We work against the clock and the elements on a daily basis. We stand alone in our fields and come together in need. The rally campaign was built for this purpose, to stand together and to support one another. We are the faces of agriculture, no matter the size of our operations. We stand united whether we're conventional or organic, grass or grain finished, big egg or small farm. We're all in this together. The rally campaign is a fundraising effort to provide funds for selected agricultural organizations. From now until the end of March, 2020, Funds raised through the rally campaign will be donated to the Do More Agricultural Foundation, who is a not-for-profit organization focused on mental health in agriculture across Canada, and the Agri-Ability Project, whose mission is to enhance the quality of life for farmers, ranchers, and other agricultural workers with disabilities so they, their families, and their communities can continue to succeed in rural America. Purchase your Rally Campaign t-shirt over at Shop Wild Rose Farmer, with $4 of the proceeds being equally split between these two worthy organizations. For more information about the Rally Campaign, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com rally. So Tiffany, my last question for you is, what is the most rewarding part about being a farmer? It's really harvest or, you know, when you're seeing those seeds that you've sown in the garden, because I do like to garden as well. When you're able to pick that produce out of your garden or when we're harvesting the blueberry fields, just to be able to see the hard work that you've put into it come to an end and you're able to, you know, provide a family with food on their table. I guess that's just what makes me so happy to do what I'm doing and be where I'm at in the industry. For sure. I think harvest is my favorite time of year too. It's all of your hard work is finally coming to fruition and you can see yeah. it going in the bin. So, And I mean, I am maybe a little bit biased, but I think blueberries and pork go so well together. And our boss just had a blueberry breakfast sausage made up and it is delicious. So I kind of have the best of both worlds. That altogether. does sound delicious. Do you have any good pork and blueberry recipes that you're wanting to share? 
I'm sure I could probably find some. Well, you send them to me and I will put them in the show notes and then people can find them and make them and report back to you how delicious they are. I did just make some bourbon bacon chocolate chip cookies the other day. I saw that and I was like, oh my gosh, that sounds so good. I had to put them in the freezer. My husband was eating them all on me. <laughs> That's too funny. That happens around here too. So, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Tiffany, it has been so great getting to talk to you on this podcast. I'm so happy we were able to make this work. If, I shouldn't say if, of course the listeners want to connect with you after the show, where can they find you online? Well, I don't really have a Facebook fancy page. It's just Facebook. I'm Tiffany Duncan. And then on Instagram, I'm at Tiff underscore RVT. Perfect. I will put that in the show notes so people can connect with you and talk to you online. Make new friends. Yay. <laughs> Yay. So thank you so much for joining me on the Rural Woman podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast. For show notes, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com. You can stay connected with me on Instagram at wildrosefarmer. If you love the show, make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Plus, share it with a friend. We'll see you next time.